Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Stranded Technologies Podcast. I'm your host and founder of Infinita Funds, Nicholas Anzinger. In this show, we talk about how to accelerate the future. Our thesis is that many life-improving technologies are held back by institutional barriers. How can we unblock vast opportunities while mitigating against the risks? What ethical principles, rules, and regulations can guide us on that path? We will discuss these questions with entrepreneurs, policymakers, and industry experts. If you enjoy the show, please give us five stars and visit us at infinitafunds.com to join the community. Today's episode is another one in the style of episode 10 and 25 with my own thoughts. First, you'll hear a recording of a talk that I gave at Zuzadu, Vitalik Buterin's pop-up city in Montenegro. This is a very important one because I synthesized my lessons from the past year or so from doing the Stranded Technologies podcast and Infinita, the startup city VC fund. Second, I'll talk a bit about my learnings from Zuzalu and three big initiatives that spawned out of Zuzalu that I'll be running together with new friends that I met there. In brief, the three initiatives, and you can sign up for all of them, you'll find links in the show notes. The first one is in Zanzibar, an event, a beautiful island off of Tanzania, where we visit Free Flow Eden, a new free zone project with some major African city builders, technology entrepreneurs, VCs, and artists on July 30 to 23. Second, Honduras will have ETHLAT M on October 26 to 28 and will organize the Prospera Builders Weeks right after, in a bit of a similar style to Zuzalu. Third, we do an exploratory journey for a longevity network state between three to four Latin American countries for two months in January and February 2024. Now, to the talk that I gave at Zuzalu, which is putting together, as I said, learnings from the past year or so. So it is a very good status where we're at with the Stranded Technology Podcast, the learning journey that I went through. This is not the original talk. For better audio quality, I re-recorded it. But to brag a little bit, I sat on a panel with Vitalik Buterin discussing the results and moderated a debate with Balaji Srinivasan right after. This felt like really great validation for my work the last year. And it tells me that we're really onto figuring out something really important here. And right now I'm actually thinking to write a book about that. But anyway, here is the talk and you'll find a link to the video and my slides in the show notes as well. Enjoy. Hi, friends. So you've probably heard about Balaji Srinivasan's The Network State. It's a book that received a lot of attention. You probably have not heard the context with the development of new cities and new urbanism and technology. So it's something that's still a bit confusing. 
I think it's a very significant and important and good innovation, but I want to put it a bit into context and how it relates to building physical infrastructure, actual new cities, and how it can help us unleash a new wave of technological progress. So they promised us flying cars and all we got was 140 characters. This is not just a quip from Peter Thiel. This is actually based on findings of Tyler Cowen and Robert Gordon and Eli Dorado, who speak of something called the great stagnation. So the thesis is that we've seen a lot of advancement in the world of bits, but not in the world of atoms. The world behind screens has progressed rapidly, but the built environment around us has not. And if you want a slightly wonky depiction of that trend, you can go to Eli Dorado, a venture partner with Infinita Fund and great scholar, and look at what he calls utilization adjusted total factor productivity. So it's basically an indicator for productive economic growth. So for a couple of decades, at the late 19th and early 20th century, we were in a very good steady upward trajectory. But in 1971, that stopped and our rate of productive economic growth has stalled. There's a great website called WTF happened in 1971 that gives more charts and data about that alarming trend. And also, if you want a vivid illustration of that, go to American cities these days, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles. These cities are in many ways declining and decrepit which it should be shocking because San Francisco and the Bay Area is the area with the highest amount of innovation and capital formation in all of human history. So it should look much better than how it looks right now. And why is that? So I would argue it's due to a flawed regulatory paradigm. In biotech and in healthcare, for example, you have something called Irum's law. So Moore's law is a steady improvement every two years, a doubling in computing power. Theorem's law is the reverse. So in drug development, you had exactly the opposite of Moore's law. So it has gotten progressively more expensive and slower to develop new drugs and therapies. That is despite Moore's law, despite computational biology, where we can now prototype new drugs from behind a computer. Regulators like the FDA, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, they are hindering progress, right? They are tasked with making us safe, but what they do in practice is preventing innovation. If you put a one mile per hour speed limit on cars, of course, you get fewer accidents, but of course, people are using other means of transport that are probably less safe and aren't helping us get, by, get along and get to reach our goals. The Henry Adams curve is also an illustration of that. So it's basically the same as total factor productivity it started in 1971 when energy usage was declining, was stagnating. And energy is something that powers the entire rest of the economy. That can also be partly attributed to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which hasn't approved a single new nuclear reactor since it started. And the regulatory paradigm and the flaw with it, I think is very well encapsulated by a quote from Balaji Srinivasan's book, The Network State. So our entire antiquated process of adversarially writing high stays laws on paper at the last minute, deploying them in production to hundreds of millions of people without any testing 
and then getting them interpreted in unpredictable ways by regulators and solicitors will be seen as a bizarre relic of an older time. There's a lot in there. And I don't have, and it takes me, would take me a book length to extrapolate on that. But the important thing is, so the way regulations are done, if you think of them as computer code, any computer code before you deploy it, you would test it, right? And then you would iterate on it. You would fix bugs. And that just doesn't happen when, when it comes to how regulations are. So what we do, we need to improve. Historically, there, the frontier was important. So you go to a different place where you can start from scratch, right? So you go to the American West or you go to somewhere where powerful and entrenched interest doesn't reach you, or you have a degree of legal autonomy where you can build talent density and spawn a new narrative or culture. So how do we do that, right? So what has sort of spawned a lot of imagination is Ayn Rand's novel, Atrus Flak. The Compton of Gulch Gulch. What if all the productive entrepreneurs go to this one place and start anew? Wouldn't that be great? I think it's not practical. If it would be one place, it has a single failure point, right? And when you play in the game of like nations, you're political, right? When you're political, you have trade offs, right? You can't do things that are too much out of the orbition window. Otherwise, you antagonize others around you and also, if you want to build modern industry with sophisticated supply chains and technology, you just need multiple jurisdictions, multiple locations. You can't just be disconnected from the rest of the world. You need to have a more diversified approach. But at the same time, there's hope, right? So technology has been the savior of us in our economies, right? So software has been eating the world and making it much more efficient. The Nakamoto consensus in crypto has shown it's possible to break the monopoly over money that states have. And that is a tremendous and massive achievement. Elon Musk is a great entrepreneur that shows what's possible. Think how much more he could do if he would not be so constrained by the flawed regulatory approach. How much more Elon's he would have. Also, Y Combinator has created playbooks for how to bring innovation to the market at scale. Delaware and SafeNotes have created an ecosystem for entrepreneurs to create rapid changes very fast. There is hope too when it comes to new jurisdictions, right? So there are places with legal autonomy. They're called startup cities, and there are some zero to ones out there that are open for business. One is called Prospera. It's on the island of Roatan in Honduras. The other one, Ciudad Morazan, on the mainland in Honduras, or the Catab Digital Economic Zone in the Carolinas. So these are places that provide new approaches to do, do crypto innovation, to do biotech innovation, or other innovations in the physical world. And you can already go to these places. These places, Prospera and Catabua, most of all, they work with What's in my view, the best solution to the flawed regulatory paradigm is called polycentric common law. And there's an open source legal system created by the scholar Tom W. Bell. I had him on a podcast in a fantastic episode that provides the foundation for a better regulatory paradigm, a flexible regulatory paradigm, where businesses, insurance companies, and private arbitrators 
can have a more open process and more flexible process when it comes to adopting regulations that are ideal. Also, Baladri Srinivasan has put a new innovation forward that is bringing a lot of talent, attention, and capital to this space. It's called the Network State. It's a highly aligned online community with a capacity for collective action that crowdfunds territory around the world and eventually gains diplomatic recognition from pre-existing states. So this innovation has brought us startups like Afropolit, Diaspora African Community that is doing that, or Praxis, which is aiming to build a city in the Mediterranean. So I put this together in what I call the new cities industry landscape. So there are places with physical jurisdiction like Prosper, like Zidane Morazan, there's several others in, in Africa. The network state is a new approach, one that starts in the cloud, that starts online, and then later approaches governments with their leverage to gain physical territory. There's also co-living is an important part of that trend or of that movement. So co-living communities can realize their more innovation within existing jurisdictions. There's a lot of infrastructure for how to settle legal disputes, for example. And there's an industry of investors and a foundations institutes. It's small, but it's growing. This is a way how I conceptualize the trend, right? So if you have what I call a legal hard fork, you want to write your own or new laws or are forking from your existing jurisdiction in significant ways. If you do a soft fork, then you don't do that. You can use the legal structures you have in existing jurisdictions. And then you either have land development already or you don't, right? So if you have a hard fork and you have land development, then you're a startup city. If you don't yet have land development, you're a network state, right? So you're creating demand in the cloud first and then work on eventually getting physical territory. And if you don't aim to do a hard fork, but have land development, then you're typically a co-living community. You're creating different incentives for crowdfunding territory or for having an equity share in the community, like here, for example. And if you have neither, then you're an online community, right? Online communities exist and they eventually want to become network states or startup cities or co-living. That's fine. That's kind of Balaji's argument. Hey, more of these online communities, like the Ethereum community, for example, why don't you try to do more with the alignment that you have? So how does this relate to technology, new technology development? So how can this trend help us build better? So the good news is it's not a dream. It's not a utopia anymore. So Prospera is the one zero to one where there's already a community of startups that are VC funded that are by significant and major VC funds and big names such as Peter Thiel or Naval Ravikant or Sam Altman that are working on Web3 and waterless banking, gene therapy, drone logistics, or robotic construction through 3D printing. So it has started. So we can point at examples. And if you're a startup, you have a startup in an industry that is plagued by regulatory capture, you can already go to Prosper and hopefully to many more places in the future. There's three particular industries that, in my view, can benefit from these regulatory advantages of these innovation zones. One is biotech and health tech, right? So there's very simple things such as medical reciprocity laws, sunset clauses, 
or right to try laws that can spawn new drug development. We can do clinical trials much faster. We can iterate much faster on medical devices and research and development, and we can do medical tourism. So give people that are willing to go to a new jurisdiction to get access to very advanced medical drugs and therapies. Second one is hard tech, right? So things in the physical world, like drones, robotics, or power plants. So these are a bit more at a disadvantage because these jurisdictions don't yet have scale, but they can be a launch pad, right? So very often what you need is just a zero to one. You need to show other jurisdictions it's possible. You're already working on it. You already have operational and safety data. So you can point the regulators at these jurisdictions to what you're already doing. And the third one is digital assets, right? So crypto, but also insurance and banking. These are terribly overregulated industries. So banking is a central failure point of the financial system. And insurance could provide much more services than it currently does. But it's very, very hard to start a new insurance company as a startup. So better digital asset laws and regulations, such as by the Catawba Zone or by Prospera, can just create a much more permissionless ecosystem. If you're a startup, um, another way to view or to summarize it is there's three advantages in these jurisdictions that you can get. The physical sandbox that I mentioned before, so you can do clinical trials, you can build showcases. Second one is you have more flexible jurisdictional wrappers with recognized rights, and you can develop scalable legal templates. For example, a company called Skytrades is tokenizing and building a property rights marketplace for, for the air, which is something that can make it much easier to create a drone technology uh, ecosystem. It can be much easier to settle disputes when it comes to protected views, when it comes to housing and construction. And third, these zones harbor tech forward communities, right? So drones or nuclear power, medical tourism, these places are very open to these kinds of things. They're much more tech forward. Um, our places, communities like Afropod and Praxis are also great networks for founders. These places have a lot of alignment and help each other a lot. And that can be great for you as a founder. So where can all this lead? So just imagine a thought experiment. If we had 2% productive economic growth, which we had for a time, probably didn't have since the 19, since 1971. If we had 2% productive economic growth, our economic output in a hundred year would be 7.5x what it is right now, which is great. We would be much richer, but I think it wouldn't be enough to get rid of extreme poverty, for example, and build abundant lives. But what if we increase that to 5% productive economic growth, then we would be 130x where we, were, where we are now. And this would eradicate extreme poverty and many diseases, allow humans to build a much more richer and healthier life and be akin to something that I would call a civilizational superabundance that would propel us to become a multiplanetary species as well. And it's not that hard to think of what would be required to get there, right? So we know we can build a decentralized finance system on crypto rails. How Tokyo is doing it right when it comes to housing. It's the only major city in the world where land and rental prices have not increased and have even slightly declined. 
education is terribly bottlenecked because any new education startup is competing with free and bad schools, which are especially bad for kids from disadvantaged environments. Medical freedom, right? So I can think of a hundred ways how the FDA is preventing innovation and how it is reducing progress. What if Bitcoin were the world's reserve currency? It would prevent governments from printing money to wage wars and to be aggressive against others. Nuclear energy, I keep mentioning, although you could point at geothermal and, and other sources of cheap, abundant and clean energy as well. But I like it because it's technologically clear and it's safe and we have enough experience with it. So the only reason we don't have more of it is because of regulatory capture. I have a fantastic episode of my podcast, episode 35, that tells you why. And labor mobility, the biggest and most important market in the world is for people. So if we had just much fewer restrictions on where people can move to and what they can work on, licensing, border restrictions and things like that, we would massively, massively grow as humanity. There's some areas with escape velocity potential. Longevity biotech could help us live hundreds of years long, right? This is not far-fetched. If we have more energy and energy abundance, then we could build much more advanced nanorobots that coupled with AI could engineer the built world around us much, much more. And if you come to a place where we have much fewer to no border restrictions, that would sort of supercharge humanity by allowing the most important market in the world to thrive much more. So new cities and technology are a made, match made in heaven. These couple of slides require a bit of context. So I gave this presentation in Zuzalu, a pop-up city in Montenegro, organized by Vitalik Buterin. But what I called for there is just to imagine how could we get to a hundred billion dollar network of network states. So if we just take the map that I showed before, and if we um, are able to 10x what is now tomorrow, I think that would allow us to get to a hundred billion network of network state or a new Hanseatic league within seven to 10 years, right? So it's not too far fetched. So what if we get 10 times the VC funding that we have now within this year? That's not unthinkable. Also new tech companies to work on these challenges, you just need 10 times more than what there are now. These also can be, we can get them together. What if we have 10 friendly jurisdictions? So there are jurisdictions all over the world, especially smaller jurisdictions that want to innovate in these areas and attract these industries of the future. We can, so we can get these friendly deals and public private partnerships with governments. Also Honduras is very important. It is where one of the key legal innovations in that space came about the so-called ZA zones. So we need to rally behind that point to make them succeed, to show the rest of the world it's possible and can benefit this that is very poor. So I am supercharging this trends with my VC fund, a fund to support founders in overcoming these regulatory bottlenecks by utilizing startup cities and network states. I also have a podcast with thought leaders, city builders, VCs and investors and company builders to to learn about that trend and everything that's going on. I'm right now working on an initiative to start a multi-node longevity biotech focused network state in Latin America, because several of these zones are in Latin America. 
So Honduras is the best place in the world with the highest degree of legal autonomy and prosper in Ciudad Morazan. Puerto Rico is attracting a crypto ecosystem and has shown politically innovative. And there's other places with special economic zones, existing medical tourism and clinical trial infrastructure, such as Uruguay, Costa Rica, Panama, Belize, or South Mexico. So one of my initiatives right now is to put together a journey where we explore the possibilities of building a multinodal network state there with several locations. That's pretty much it for now. Let me know if you have any feedback and I hope we'll be in touch soon. And I can highly recommend to join me at one of the upcoming events in Prospera because I know a lot of what I'm saying here is just very out there and very sci-fi. And I can promise you, if you come here to Prospera, to the beautiful Caribbean island of Roatan, place with international flights and international airport, direct flights from Miami, from Houston, from Dallas, it will become much more clear. And it will show you what I'm talking about right now. It's not just theory. It's not a dream. It's not utopia. It's something we're already building and I invite you to come join us. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to the talk that I gave at Zuzalu. Moving on, as I said, to tell you a little bit more about the three upcoming initiatives and my impressions from Zuzalu. So first off, Zuzalu. Zuzalu was a two-month-long pop-up city and at a resort in Montenegro. Counter to what the press said about it, like a retreat for crypto millionaires, to me it was much more of a builder's club. There were some names in crypto, some influential and wealthy people, but most of the crowd was young builders, very nerdy, very sciencey into things like biology or deep cryptographic tech. We did activities together. I hosted a Dungeons and Dragons session. We did cold plunging every morning. We ate good food together. I heard after I left, there was much more party. When I was there, it was much more grounded and not so much of a burning man or whatever party town. It was a really joyful crowd. It's like the nerds from high school that didn't fit in, who all of a sudden are on a campus, surrounded by people with similar interests and with a culture of tolerance and embrace for neurodiversity and difference and for strange hobbies and intellectual interests. A bit like a university campus on steroids, with people that actually care and actually build. It was a really important learning for the industry of new cities and network states, or now I prefer to call them startup societies. I think that's the most accurate term. Zuzalu was a startup society experiment that succeeded in that it created what Balaji Srinivasan calls in-person civility of a highly aligned online community. The intellectual density that it created was really helpful for most attendees. It was for me personally to advance a lot of my work, to get to think about it more clearly, have a good opportunity to present, have the opportunity to get feedback from Vitalik himself and from many other core people from the community, from longevity biotech and become part of the Ethereum and Web3 community. The previous talk, as well as the first ever conference, bringing new cities and network state audience together, were some of the results that came out for me. And I want to continue that. And I felt this was a pivotal moment for the movement to grow and bring in more people. Now to the three initiatives. So first off, Zanzibar on July 20 to 23. Again, link to sign up in the show notes. 
we do a four-day conference with an open agenda. A bit of Zuzalu style, not everything is pre-planned. So there's a lot of space for you to contribute with art, with workshops, with panels. The key themes will be the future of city development on the African continent, including special economic zones and charter cities. We have some of the key projects there, Afropolitan, Kwashi, Itana, Talent City, and Temple Cities, and hopefully also small farm cities from Malawi, although they haven't confirmed yet. The second topic will be technological innovation development. So from clean energy, internet and communication infrastructure, crypto and Web3 and finance. So speakers from the VC world, from the tech world that are interested in Africa are more than welcome. We have Daniel Yu, for example, joining from Wasoko. We have Eche Mole from Afropolitan. Patrick Friedman, the founder of the Seasetting Institute and a guest of the show, will speak remotely. We have the Charter Cities Institute coming and we're seeking to get involvement from a larger audience, from our friends from Zuzalu and from the Ethereum community. Special mention to the core organizers, the Threefold Foundation. Threefold is the organizer of the free zone that we're going to have the conference in. It's called Free Flow Eden. They are a fascinating company. Just way too much of a rabbit hole to talk about in one episode. We'll have a full episode with the founder, Christoph de Spiegeler. It is a company with almost 100 people working on building the infrastructure for a new internet and a venture incubator with legal autonomy and free zone status in Zanzibar. An awesome and massive lifetime project of a major thinker and builder and some really great people in the team that became very good friends that I spent a lot of time with at Suzalu. They brought their own catamaran boat and took people out regularly. Second announcement. On October 26 to 28, ETHLET-M, the Ethereum conference for the continent, will take place in San Pedro Sula in Honduras. This is great for the country and for the local Web3 community. More than 2,000 builders will come. And I'm working together with the organizers of ETHLATM to do satellite events about Prospera and Ciudad Morazan. And not only that, right after, we will do a four-weeks mini Zuzalu in Prospera called the Prospera Build Weeks for all of November. And during that time, we'll do three conferences. Two are, again, industry-focused conferences. One I call Crypto and Futurism. The second one, Longevity and Decentralized Science. As these have emerged kind of as the key topics where the people want to get involved in and that we could unleash in or through Prospera. And the third one will be the Prospera General Summit. So for this one, we'll aim to bring every investor, resident, founder, anyone who's involved in the community to come and have a chance to experience it. Our goal will be to bring as many people as possible. This is the perfect opportunity for you to become part of the community. I don't have a sign-up link for that yet, but subscribe to the Stranded Technologies Substack and join the Build Prospera Summits and Events Telegram group to be the first to hear about it. I'll leave those links in the show notes. Third, and this is a big one, I also have a full episode with Lawrence Ian from VitaDAO about that shortly. 
a longevity network state in Latin America. This is a massively ambitious project. It started or it was co-developed together with VitaDAO at Zuzalu. And after several workshops and also listening to some of the content that I put out there through the podcast with Jessica Flanagan, the case against the FDA with Raymond March, with Sebastian Brunemeyer, there's an increasing realization that the current regulatory paradigm doesn't work for longevity biotech. Longevity biotech is very important. It could be one of the defining questions of our age and of our century. We have the science and technology to potentially radically increase human lifespan. But the way the FDA right now is preventing innovation will also hit longevity biotech. It's just not possible that with iteration times of 10 to 15 years and hundreds of millions per iteration that we're going to get momentum. And momentum is what's important. Otherwise, the most talented people in the world just move on. And there is just, without momentum, there is no path to popular approval and to really show it works, that it's not just crazy talk because many of these things... So we need to find exit resources and opportunities. Now, why Latin America? Latin America is, has proximity to the United States. So it's the most obvious choice to move to or to use as a launchpad. There's migration flows. There's a richness of culture. There's a lot of stranded talent. There's a lot of people that want to create a better life, but they are trapped in their places due to immigration restrictions. There are innovation zones. So not only Honduras with Prospera, there are several others that I'll talk about in a second. And there is a sprawling technology and healthcare industry. In many surprising wealth ways, healthcare in Latin America, I'm going to summarize this a bit because we're going to have a longer episode together with Lawrence Ion. So for now, what is important about this initiative is the idea is that we use three to four different jurisdictions to build a interdependent network state with multiple nodes, right? So we want to get 40 to 50 entrepreneurs together for a two-month-long journey to just explore the situation in six countries that we've pre-selected to see about the possibility to build a small biotech and healthcare ecosystem there together with local communities and startups. So we'll have that journey starting in January all the way through February. I will make some more announcements in the coming weeks. In the meantime, you can indicate your interest by signing up under a link that I will provide in the show notes. And we hope to make this the starting point of a network state that has a permanent presence in some of these countries with several other entrepreneurs. All right, that's it for today. As you can see, I've kept very busy the last couple of weeks and months. It was really, really awesome to have the Zuzalu experience, just the, the density that it created and the opportunity that it gave me in expanding my network and bringing more people into this emerging movement that I feel part of, that I want to supercharge with this podcast, with my VC fund. That's just been, that's just been great. I just... When I started this a bit more than a year ago, this was before I read Balaji Srinivasan's The Network State or before Vitalik Buterin did Zuzalu or before this trend has gotten greater 
attention. And also, just at that point, I felt like I was one of the first people in Prospera, and not many people knew about it then. And ever since then, I think I've spoken to tens of thousands of people at conferences and through this podcast. So this podcast has been tremendously valuable for me personally. I hope I could reciprocate that with the content for you, because without you, the listeners of this podcast, this wouldn't be possible. So thank you so much for being a regular listener to this podcast. If you listen to this and if you're not a regular listener yet, then check out the previous content and last 50-something episodes. It is a podcast that's designed for content that has a bit more longer duration. That is almost like a diary or a log of my journey of thinking, of building a VC fund in public, and of just exploring the opportunity to explore fundamental and transformative changes we can make to make the world a better place through new governance, through new cities, through network states, and unleash the potential of science and technology that we're producing as humanity. That's just looking for a valve for an exit to, to thrive. So thank you so much for being part of this journey. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and see you again next week. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.